You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 169. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We are back this week, and we are excited to be introducing a new contributing analyst to the show. Details in a second. I will start with a brief overview of our special U.S. SaaS software technology stock report, which we'll be releasing next week to our U.S. and VIP research clients. I will look at current valuations in tech, specifically in the software segment, and where valuations stand now after a crash, from a 10-year historical perspective. Splits are topical right now with Alphabet about to do its 20-for-1 split and another couple companies in our coverage, Fortinet, FTNT on the NASDAQ, the cybersecurity giant, and Brookfield Infrastructure, BIP.UN, a global infrastructure company, conducting splits over the past couple of weeks, as well as the high-profile splits of Apple and Tesla over the past year. We have fielded a number of questions in this area, needless to say, so Brennan will delve into the splits, perhaps trying to perform them himself, and more appropriately, what they mean as an investor uh, or mean for you as an investor. Finally, in this segment, Brett will be looking at a cautionary tale in the once high-flying Voyager Digital Limited, symbol V-O-Y-G on the TSX, a cryptocurrency platform that offers a secure way to trade over 100 different crypto assets using its easy-to-use mobile application. Now, from its 2021 highs over at over the $32 level, the stock has dropped an astonishing 98% to close this week in the $0.60 cent range. Brett lets us know what went wrong and where the business, which had posted high revenue growth, is at today. So a programming note here, Aaron will not be with us this week. He is packed is traveling with the family band in a Winnebago and headed to Naramata to bring his heavenly voice and feel-good lyrics to BC's interior. I say good luck to anyone in their path, and I predict ratings on this episode in his absence to skyrocket. He will be back in about one week's time, never fear. Finally, I am calling them the killer bees. Welcome, Brennan and Brett. Wow. How are you guys doing? Doing well. I like that. Yeah. Killer bees. Mm, it's got a good bees. ring to it. I think before we go further, uh, introductions are in order. Now, first off, Brennan, um, he's some dude that I believe likes stocks. That's all we know about him. So I'm going to move on to Brett. Brett has just joined Keystone as an analyst and will be contributing to the show going forward, particularly with our planned move to YouTube as a YouTube show. So, just some quick notes on Brad. He's based in Alberta, so Keystone now stretches across three provinces. 
He completed a BBA double majoring in accounting and financial analysis at Mount Royal University. He has completed the Canadian Securities course, is a level two CFA candidate after passing level one. Experienced with valuation models, including free cash flow models, dividend models, price multiple models, and more. So he checks off the fundamental analysis box we like as a basis to start. But perhaps more importantly, he is passionate, a passionate investor. He loves to search for great growth and value-based companies, truly dig into the stories, and will be tasked to find some unique opportunities that we can bring to our clients over the coming years. So I say... Welcome to Brett. It's a bit of a baptism under fire today having you on the show. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. It's always it's been a fun time the last couple of weeks. So looking yeah, for Yeah, well interesting. Just getting acclimatized, um, onboarded. And you're coming up to your birthday. So we're we're gonna say <laughs> your birthday's on the fourth of July to let it out of the bag. Um yeah. happy upcoming birthday because I think it'll happen before the next episode so let's say happy upcoming birthday to you yes <laughs> yes happy upcoming birthday I'm also glad fourth of July birthday and fifth of May so Cinco de Mayo and fourth of July you it's guys true just, you love and we're both prairie boys so that I kind of yeah. like that just because I've been kind of the black sheep at Keystone for a long time Ryan <laughs> Ryan <laughs> loves to make fun of me living in Saskatchewan I don't know if it's a black sheep it's the butt of every joke <laughs> so now I mean you know Calgary might be a little bit of an upgrade from Saskatoon however you know it's still the yes, same cut yeah. of the same cloth so uh you know, or a different yeah. kind well, of people might have heard of it. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I we I I know you know we we're more familiar with Alberta. Uh, I mean, I am. I wrote a column that was actually in the Calgary Herald for like ten years. So I you know I would visit there, you know, from time to time. But and we've been there for um, a ton of different analyst events uh just we've done seminars there for years so we're more familiar with calgary calgary edmonton than we are with saskatoon so saskatoon is this unknown area we, we have to come out and just do a seminar in saskatoon then then it'll dispel all the myths that we exactly it, i'm sure it is a beautiful place it is it is yeah especially this time of year yeah we only got a couple weeks of it though so you know and can you tell the listeners brett where you are based in alberta yeah, so I'm, I'm in I'm in Calgary. It's a couple hours away from the mountains. Nice views. Uh, sometimes nice weather. Yeah, <laughs> can't, can't say it's as, as good as uh, where Ryan is, but uh, less rain though. Less rain. Yeah, less, rain. Right. less rain. Less yeah, rain. Yeah, and you get the crazy Chinooks, right? Like yeah, you get yeah, we get the crazy... Chinooks, but we we get the snow. So yes, not as we, much as me. Like where I am, I'm right on the coast. We don't. You get snow. <laughs> yeah. We sure do. You've still got snow. Right? Yeah, actually. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That'd be quite funny. I'm sure it's beautiful there. Yes. So let's get the hell away from the weather and <laughs> you just bet. get into our show today, okay? Welcome, Brett. Welcome, Brennan. And thank God Aaron's not here. That's all I can say. So I'm going to look at the our U.S. technology report we've been putting together over the past month and a, and a little. Uh, it's We focus technology. I'm, I'm just going to talk generally on the sector. Technology, in particular software, has been basically the hottest area of the stock market over the last decade. As at the end of 2021, information technology was far ahead as the top performing sector on the S&P 500, boasting a... 15-year return of nearly 940%, almost double the next best sector, which was consumer defensive at 560%, and far exceeding the S&P's average over that period 
of 356%. Now, the pandemic highlighted the need for technological innovation as many people shut into their homes and work, business, and social interactions immediately transitioned online. Specific segments of the tech space have captured a substantial share of growth and investor attention, such as cloud computing, digital transformation, online collaboration, big data, AI, and automation. Now, most of these companies in these segments saw share prices boom over recent years. That is until recently. Generally speaking, a decline of 10 to 20% is considered a correction. And above 20% is considered a bear market. Now, since hitting its peak in November 2021, the NASDAQ 100 Technology Index is down roughly 35%, equivalent to trillions of dollars of lost value. Many once-beloved and seemingly unstoppable stocks like Zoom, DocuSign, and Netflix have fared far worse with declines in the range of 80% on those. And even the juggernaut, Amazon, uh, has lost 40% of its value in just over six months. So the question is, where do these stocks, these tech stocks go from here? That's what everybody should be asking. Many of the companies continue to produce strong financial results, growing revenues and cash flow well into the double digits. With most tech stocks down between 30 and 90%, the question becomes, are we looking at a generational value or buying opportunity, or is there more downside in store? And that's the crux of the argument now. Uh, One metric for valuing high-growth technology stocks is price-to-sales ratio, quite simple. Although we would prefer to value companies based on earnings and cash flow, many high-flying tech stocks focus on driving revenue growth and have a lack of meaningful profitability. So comparing apples to apples, uh, we can kind of use on a historical level price-to-sales to see where valuations are. Now, we compile data on stocks in the NASDAQ 100 technology index to see how today's valuations compare to historical ranges. For the index as a whole, the average price to sales is about nine times, which is down by almost half compared to this highest level of 15.6 times and roughly in line with the 10-year average of eight times. Within the technology sector, uh, it is software and specifically SaaS or software as a service companies that have until recently garnered the best stock price returns. As expected, When we focus on the software companies in the index, we see higher valuations with price to sales currently at about 12 times compared to the high uh, over the past 10 years of 23, which is just recent. And the 10 year average is 11.6. So the current uh, uh, price to sales is 12. The 10 year average is 11.6. Now, to put these numbers in context, context, the average price-to-sales ratio on the S&P 500, the largest 500 stocks in the U.S., is 2.4 times. The valuation on technology and software stocks has compressed substantially, but these groups continue to trade at significant premiums to the overall market and moderately above where they have been for most of the last decade. That is not to say the recent sell-off in technology has not created attractive buying opportunities. Many of the companies that have experienced share price declines of 30 to 90% over the past six months continue to produce solid double-digit revenue growth and profitability while providing innovative products and services which 
there is a need for long-term and a growth path long-term. A high percentage also have cash-rich balance sheets. So the purpose of the report that we're doing here and the analysis we're doing is to explore these potential opportunities and highlight a selection of high-growth, profitable software and SaaS investment prospects. From the over 50 companies in the report, which made our initial criteria and on which we provide statistical analysis on past results and forward guidance, we have authored roughly 15 individual reports, a number of which we are monitoring for entry points over the next 12 to, or three to 12 months. Three to four are bar, buy recommendations at present. There are also three to four stocks that we see as good long-term buys, which could one could potentially partially take a partial position in at current levels uh, in the, with the plan of bu- building a full position over the next 12 to 18 months. These are stocks which have faced significant corrections over the past six to eight months, but we expect to perform well over the next three to five years. However, they may have dropped 35 to 60% in the case of these three to four companies. They were trading at such lofty valuations that another 25 to even 45% drop particularly if we faced a recessionary environment, is certainly not out of the question. So overall, I would say from our statistical analysis and quantitative, qualitative analysis of these companies, it appears that the segment of tech, this segment, was trading at such euphoric valuations that despite a severe crash in many cases in these stocks, the valuations are now just approaching the 10-year average on a price-to-sales basis, which remains at a significant premium to the market. It is true that a premium is deserved for many of these higher growth quality businesses, but we caution investors that the segment as a whole is yet to trade anywhere close to historic, discounted, or cheap valuations. Some of the risks coming up this year, there's potential for individual stocks, tax loss selling, and recessionary risk. So there's certainly some great businesses here, that are starting to be attractive and we're getting excited about and we know there is going to be a tremendous buying opportunity. There's a couple names that we would buy right now, but there's another monitor list of about three to eight companies that we really think will be buys at some point. If we can get them on sale over the next 12 to 18 months, we'll likely take the plunge. So that's a summary of the work we're doing in that area. Can't wait to put it out to our clients over next week. And uh, if you guys got any comments to follow that, we got them now and then we'll get to Brennan. Yeah, I, I like the like, I really want to emphasize the thought of like layering in. It's a good thought, you know, just kind of put your toe in the water, essentially. Like it's such a good strategy for volatile markets. You know, as we've said so many times, we we don't time the market. We don't try to time the market. We're just looking to buy good businesses growing. So, I mean, um, you know, taking a piece, layering in. You know, you're basically getting some exposure, hedging that missed opportunity cost of all of a sudden there being a bottom and the stocks, you know, tech stocks to start to go on another run. Um, But you're also, you know, mitigating the risk of a further decline, you know, only exposing yourself so much, not buying that full position, as we would like to call it, um, which, you know, might expose yourself to that volatile market. Um, So, yeah, I just always I think that that's a great strategy layering in maybe taking taking a quarter position or something just to start off with companies like and these. And for simplicity's sake just, sake, just for you know talking about what is a full position, what is a half position, let's just say if you had $100,000 and you were going to buy 10 stocks, 
a full position, if they're equally weighted, would just be 10000 in each. So if you're going to do a half position, that would just be investing 5000 initially in that stock. If you were to do a quarter position, that would be 2500 in that stock. And you might make... You might identify a business or a stock that you want to own, and you might initially buy the first 25%. So that would be $2,500. And then uh, a couple months later, if there was a decline, or maybe there was an increase and you know things became more certain, you'd add another 25%. You could do that over a period of time. Now, typically, like Brennan said, during times of you know where there is significant uncertainty on the horizon, this can be a strategy uh, that can be deployed. Now, we wouldn't look at doing that in November, for example, when valuations were at a peak, when every, you know, there's many companies trading at hundreds of times earnings in this segment. We wouldn't like to start you know, averaging in or, or, or layering in, like Brennan was talking about, to a stock at that point. Now that we've got to a point where valuations are at likely an average of where they've been over the past 10 years, now that 10-year average is a bit skewed because of the euphoric valuations that we saw uh, just you know over the past year particularly you know by the fall of 2021 but regardless it is at the average level over the past uh, 10 years that is a time where it's more appropriate to start that strategy rather than when you see you know valuations at historical highs or 10-year highs so hopefully that makes sense now is there anything you wanted to add on that Brett or should we just move to Brennan doing the splits himself uh yeah I, I think it really sums up the old saying, uh, be yes. greedy when others are fearful. And that's really where the market is right now is, even if we're not at the bottom or near the bottom even, yeah. the market is fearful. So you need to start looking for those value opportunities for the companies, which will last through the fear. Yeah, precisely. Well, it's always good to quote Warren Buffett, right? So you quote him there, that's great. And And if we can... You know, if we can reach, like, we may see further fear. We may not in the market. We don't know that. So what we're trying to really do is identify really strong businesses that, you know, if there is a further 20 30% drop in the broader market or even in an individual stock that you've identified, uh, if you're looking three, five years out, which you should be, this is a company that you're not going to regret owning if you bought a 25 or half position 25% or 50% position today and then you know continue to layer into that over time uh, it's d- difficult if not absolutely impossible to pick a bottom identifying the right companies to buy is far better strategy and then layering into those good businesses so we'll have some of those for our clients over the next week uh, from this segment that we think are very attractive and we'll continue to the thing is, we've got such a good book on a lot of these businesses now. We'll continue to add to those as we see opportune times over the next year. So let's get to uh, Brennan. You know, we talked about stock splits. There was the Apples, the Teslas over the past year. Google just going to conduct its 20 for 1 over the past week. I think Fortinet and um, uh, Brookfield from our research conducted their own splits. Uh, I, I promise that Brennan um, on our first uh, our first YouTube episode will do the splits in honor of all yep. the splits that we've been saying, or will ch- attempt the splits. I can Brennan, do the splits. Just the kidding. Splits. I can't. I can't. You cannot. Okay. So let's get into some stock splits. Um, what are they and how do they work? So first off, like Ryan mentioned, you know, many large companies have taken advantage of stock splits in recent years, such as Tesla doing a five for one stock split, Apple doing a four for one. 
and an upcoming stock split for our clients is Alphabet or Google, which will do a 20 for one stock split on July 15th. Plus, other companies in coverage followed suit, such as Brookfield Infrastructure doing a three for two and Fortinet doing a five for one. So essentially, I thought it would be a good idea to discuss the concept of stock splits, why they are used. Uh, and I'll also use kind of a real world example uh, from our coverage to aid the concept. So first off, let's describe what a stock split is. A stock split is the opposite of a share consolidation or reverse stock split and happens when a company increases the number of its shares for the primary reason to boost liquidity of a stock or to make it psychologically appear more affordable for smaller investors because the market price of the stock will go down following the split. So how does a stock split work and how does it affect investors? So for example, using Fortinet's recent five for one share split, if I owned one share of Fortinet at a price of $65, following the five for one split, I would now own five shares and the price of the stock would automatically be adjusted in the market to $13 per share, which is literally just taking the initial $65 that the price of the stock was trading at, dividing it by five because it's a five for one stock split, which gives me $13. Um, so essentially every single shareholder will now receive five more shares uh, for essentially their, their one share that they did hold before. Uh, so as you can see, my initial investment was $65 before the split where I owned one share and following the split, the five shares I now own have the stock trading at $13 per share, which also equals the $65, leaving my investment economically the same and the overall fundamental value of the business also the same. I really want to stress that the overall fundamental value of the business is also the same. So just because Fortinet stock now trades at $13 rather than $65, it does not mean that the stock is all of a sudden cheaper. The fundamental value of the company remains the exact same. Now, we could even take the example on Fortinet one step further and calculate its price to earnings valuation multiple before and after the split, uh, which would end up being exactly the same because both the earnings per share which is essentially just net income divided by shares outstanding and the price per share, which is essentially the market cap divided by the shares outstanding will both change by the same amount because the denominator, which is shares in both formulas will change by the same amount, thus leaving the fundamental value of the business the exact same. And, you know, I, I also want to just add this, just a reminder for clients that uh, when Alphabet opens up at a reduced price on July 15th because of its 20 for one split, you are not down money. You are fundamentally in this exact same spot. You know, uh, that's definitely happened to some of my friends before where it's the opposite and there's a share consolidation from for like a junior miner and a stock that was trading at 30 cents is all of a sudden trading at six bucks and they think that they're rich. They're not rich. They're in the exact same spot. Uh, so that will be coming for, uh, you know, investors, our clients on July 15th for Google. Now, it's also probably worth referencing the article I wrote and published on our blog called Price First Value, which showcases the difference between the price paid for a stock and the value actually received. We have discussed it uh, on the podcast before, but it's always good as a refresher. Uh, and I'm also going to include the uh, link uh, in the show notes uh, to that article. So if you're curious, you can just go to the show notes or just our blog and find that article.
that's it. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. I literally had my, my I had my mic on mute, and I was. Talking. Oh no worries. Oh, that's awesome. Anyway, were you so, saying good things? Uh, no, I was ripping you, but we'll, oh, we'll okay. get away from that now. Yeah, it's a good take on that. I mean, it's a good analysis of it. Stock splits are really done in theory because it's easier for an investor to buy one share of a company trading at they in theory at twenty dollars, for example, rather than two thousand dollars. But like as Brennan stressed, the stock is by no means cheaper at twenty dollars than two thousand dollars following a stock split. The value. In terms of investment in any company does not come down to price. For example, like a, a stock can be cheaper or a better investment trading at $1,000 than one trading at a dollar. Investors need, you got to look at the underlying cash flow of the business, the intrinsic value of the business to determine whether or not they are getting value for each investment dollar you employ. Like a, a, an example of this, I just put together quickly. Um, would be like a dollar stock, and, and Brennan already did this really, uh, that has a one cent in earnings per share. It is trading at 100 times earnings. 100 times one equals the dollar. That's how you get your multiple. Now, a $1,000 stock has that has $100 per share in earnings, it trades at 10 times earnings. So versus the $1 stock that traded 100. So the payback period in terms of your dollars invested is 10 uh, in the in the thousand dollar stock versus a uh, hundred in the dollar stock, a far better investment choice uh, if their growth rates are similar. So don't confuse price with value. Uh, Brennan has an article on that. I gave a speech detailing this concept earlier in the year. Stock splits do not create fundamental value. They're interesting to look at, and there's some psychology behind them for sure. But as far as I've never seen a stock split and then go up over time over the long term because it's split, it's going to continue to go up or go down based on what the company does in terms of their fundamental value creation, earnings, cash flow, and growing the business over time. So hopefully that makes sense. Now let's get to Voyager Digital, this, this sorted tale here. I'm going to get Brett to go over that. He's going to go over... What, you know, just the basis of the business. We had a couple questions come in over the past week because of the significant declines. Uh, it's a company we've looked at in the past. There was tremendous revenue growth. It didn't have the history of profitability that we like to see. But, you know, tremendous revenue growth here. What has gone on in this business and where is it today? We're going to let Brett, for his first time, take that. Okay, so we'll first just go over basic of the company. Voyager Digital is a cryptocurrency exchange with current operations in the United States and if it stays alive uh, in Europe <laughs> at some point. Uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, for those who aren't familiar, operate similar to stock exchanges, but because the industry is very juvenile, there are significant variances between exchanges in legitimacy, size, and functions. Voyager runs their operation through a phone app, similar to stock exchanges like Robinhood, where it's just an app-based product. And a critical point in how this story lays out is, plays out is Voyager lends their crypto assets. So if you deposit on their app, your crypto could actually be lent out to a third party. And that's what happened in this case, which we'll go into further. Voyager has collapsed nearly 99% from a high 
of about $36 in April of 2021, that was during the meme stock phase, to now only $0.43 cents at a low a couple of days ago. And it's trading about $0.50 cents today as we're recording. It's very, very volatile, 20%, 30% swings in a day. So, the decline over the last month, though, has been due to the bankruptcy of one of Voyager's loan counterparties, Three Arrows Capitals, on a $650 million loan. And that has now created justified fears of Voyager's bankruptcy or suspected buyouts and restructuring. So how did Voyager get to this state of affairs? The story is one of fallout and financial contagion in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. The easiest way to understand how this occurred is to go over the event and how it caused such a decline. First, the Terra Luna collapse. The Terra Luna ecosystem collapsed in mid-May, early May. It is not like an exact date, it was about a week period. As the algorithmic stablecoin which they ran, UST, depegged from the US dollar. So if you're not familiar, an algorithmic stablecoin is effectively trying to reproduce a currency, commonly USD in this case, without having underlying reserves like a traditional currency peg. So once the decline starts, stablecoin functions, well, algorithmic stablecoin functions create a feedback loop, causing the stablecoin and its sister coin, in this case Luna, to go effectively to zero. Billions of dollars in values disappeared in a blink with the collapse of Terra Luna. As many players, large and small, are leveraged and in the interconnected crypto ecosystem, the overall market declined heavily during the mid-May downfall. Bitcoin fell from the high 30,000s to the high 20s during this period, but the contagion caused the broader crypto market to continue falling once more liquidation occurred. Which leads us to our next stage, Three Arrows Capital, which was the counterparty to Voyager. Three Arrows Capital is a hedge fund but it's long only, so you can pretty much remove the hedge and just call it a fund. Voyager had lent Three Arrows Capital roughly 15,250 Bitcoins, which is about $300 million at the current market prices, as well as 350 million in USDC, which is another reserve-backed stablecoin, so it holds its peg a lot better. The 650 million loan represented about a third of the total loaned assets that Voyager had issued, so obviously a very material amount. As Three Arrows was a private hedge fund headquartered in Singapore, little confirmation is known about these exact values. Three Arrows Capital had an estimated $200 million of holding in Luna, which was most likely used to obtain more leverage. So once Luna collapsed, they were most likely on the brink of insolvency. Three Arrows Capital were estimated to be insolvent around 24k Bitcoin for, for price, that is. So once Bitcoin continued to collapse as other liquidations such as Celsius occurred, the Three Arrows Capital fell into insolvency. At this point in time, it was mostly rumors though, and but they're more or less confirmed when Sue Sue, I'm probably butchering that name. Uh, tweeted out, we are in the process of communicating with relevant parties and fully committed to working this out. And no tweets have happened since then. 
And that leads us to June 22nd, Voyager's first actual announcement of their loan to three arrows, causing the shares to plummet 50% in a single day. Previously, they had announced, though, on June 17th, that they took a loan out from Almeida Research, a private company owned by Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO and founder of FTX, one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges for $200 million in USD, or stablecoin, so it could be the USDC, USDT, and so on, as well as 15,000 Bitcoins for a rough total of 500 million. In an attempt to further limit a bank run, Voyager had limited withdrawals to 10,000 US a daily of total withdrawal, so it doesn't matter if it's US or Bitcoin or whatever crypto you happen to hold. And then as of June 27th, three arrows failed to meet the required payments set out by the loan, and then fell into default, and now they have been reported to go into liquidation. So to put this plain, Lunaterra collapsed, causing a deleveraging of the broad cryptocurrency market, which led Three Arrows to collapse, which could potentially have Voyager Digital collapsing in some point. So what are the possibilities of this? The likely future depends on how much Voyagers they would receive from the liquidation of Three Arrows. But it is right now, it seems to be very little in respect to the $650 million principle. The worst case is Voyager is gone, causing all equity to be zero. You'll maybe get a couple pennies back. Another scenario which could likely be playing out as the Almeida Research, which uh, they were the one to loan the, the revolver loans of $200 million to Voyager Capital, currently owns just under 10%. And they actually had to lower their shares so they weren't related party from about 12% to 10% to have that loan be issued without any regulatory issues. So FTX or Almeida, as they have the same CEO and founder, could end up purchasing Voyager. They actually have reports now of them purchasing BlockFi, another one, another cryptocurrency exchange, which had similar fallout issues related to not just Three Arrows, but Celsius. But the only thing certain at this point is lawsuits are bound to happen, regardless of how it turns out. So if you're looking to invest, right now it's a gamble. You're purely gambling. You're, you're not investing right now if you're looking to buy or sell Voyager. It is, it is a gamble, and I want to be very clear on that. Even though it trades at $0.50 cents or so, and it's down 99% on a year, it's a gamble. Mm-hmm. So good yeah. summary. No, it's a good, it's a really good summary. Really good taking us through where the company was, what has happened to the business, and uh, where we are today. I mean, you know, we interviewed actually uh, uh, in California a few weeks ago one of the uh, members of the management team there, and uh, you know, this stock was in the three dollar three dollar range, range. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At that point, and you know, just. Uh, it, I mean, it's dropped from like, like you said, above the almost at a peak in the thirty-six dollar range, right? So it's yeah. tremendous drop to three dollars, and then to you know face the challenges they have over the past couple of weeks, uh, it has really dropped the stock. And it, I mean, you talk about volatility. Uh, when, when I wrote the intro today, and this is just, it, I wrote the intro today. It was at sixty cents, and now it's fifty-one. I mean, that's small potatoes to where it came from, but there's significant volatility. Like we said, great revenue growth, but kind of, and we talked about this at a basic level. Their crypto exchange, where one trades cryptocurrencies, it's like a bank, 
clients need confidence in the financial strength of the business to conduct transactions through the platform. Um, if there's loss of confidence, they can withdraw and just trade on another crypto exchange. Uh, it, it you lose that confidence, it's shaken. It can be a death for the business. Now we're not predicting that. It's just it's certainly not a good thing near term. There's potential for a takeover here or something like that, but it's absolute speculation. And like the good word is gambling at this point. And it's just it's just a cautionary tale in in young sectors uh, where you know. The business was bit, bit up to euphoric valuations. Tremendous revenue growth. I mean, we we did talk about that. I mean, I, I can point out, like, in 2021, they did $175 million. The trailing 12-month revenue is, like, $458 million in that range. Tremendous growth, but that is going to decline significantly, likely uh, with people just losing confidence in the stability of the business. So good summary. Um, Brett can continue to provide those type of summaries on uh, many others. So keep your questions coming in uh, to our Your Stock, Our Take segments. If you want us to compare two companies, uh, do a debate on two companies, we can have uh, Brennan and Brett debate two companies. Uh, oh, Aaron no. debate, Brennan. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> what did you say, Brennan? I, I said, oh, no, because I'm just <laughs> referencing back to, uh, you know, our conversation with Aaron and you and uh, you guys saying that you guys might kind of <laughs> skew it Brett's way. And wouldn't it be funny if Brennan lost all of the <laughs> all of the debates against the new guy? <laughs> Sometimes it's the, it, it's on the flip of the coin, right? Like, it, Fair it, enough. Like there could be, you know, somebody gets the business. Can I actually throw anyway. Aaron under the bus right now, too? We were going to... Hey, yeah, I like we were, to do that all the time. We it's were going to debate uh, Nutrien last week. Was it Nutrien? I believe, yeah, yes, yes, last yes, week. Yes. I was going to take the four case. Oh, I once he, he looked saw, into it, once he looked, looked into it, he was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to debate it with you anymore, Brennan. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to chalk that up to a W. I don't know. You could say that is a win. Just nobody that's heard a win. it. And we cannot <laughs> prove that any of that actually went on. But Yeah, yeah that's true. That Aaron's is true. Aaron's deleted it all files. Doesn't really count. <laughs> no. He's, he's trying to keep his record intact. But yeah, keep your questions coming in. We'll have uh, some debates. We'd love to do that. And we look forward to moving to our YouTube platform uh, in the near future. I'd like to thank all of our listeners. Keep rating us on iTunes. We'll keep pumping out the content. Thank you very much. And as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Profitable investing. Thank you. Thanks.